Welcome to Zen Mind, a podcast featuring talks from Zenki Dillo Roshi, the guiding teacher at the Boulder Zen Center here in Boulder, Colorado. Zenki Roshi's teaching is made possible through the Boulder Zen Center's membership program. If you're benefiting from these talks and would like to continue hearing them here on the podcast, I hope you'll consider becoming a member. You can do so on our website, boulderzen.org, and you'll find a link in the episode notes. Now here's Zenki Roshi with this week's talk. When you open up a Zazen manual, traditional Zazen manual, manual you're um, told various things, like including to sit with an upright spine. And um, as I'd like to put it, you know, you sit down, inviting your spine into uprightness. And then the manual also says um, you can sway from left to right, front and back. And I... um, I now don't do that so overtly, but I feel it kind of internally as a part of inviting the spine into uprightness. And um, Suzuki Rashi makes an interesting comment about this swaying. Uh, He says it's not preparation for zazen or relaxation after zazen. It's part of the practice. So we should not do it as um, a way, as if it was, as if we were preparing for something else. We should not do this swaying as if we were preparing for something else. And then he um, elaborates, he says, we shouldn't do any activity as if we were preparing for something else. You shouldn't cook with the sense that you're preparing for the meal. I'm extending this now into other examples. We shouldn't practice our musical instrument as if we were preparing for the performance. I remember uh, my friend Rene Wittmer, he's Swiss, and he's a saxophone player. He's an accomplished musician in many ways, you know. You notice that because he can just teach himself other instruments, like, oh, now I want to learn to play the stand-up bass. And then he does. <clears throat> anyway, I was always very impressed. But there was a time when I was hanging out with him more and we talked about practice and performance. And there was a time when he um, invited his band, I mean, when he was practicing with his band in his uh, studio, he was inviting other people to join the practice, to 
dissolve the boundary between practice and performance. Zuccarici says, each activity is an expression of your true nature. Each, each activity is an expression of your uh, Buddha nature. So each activity deserves our full attention. It's not like there are things that are unimportant, and then there are things that are more important. From a practical point of view, I think it's true that some things are more important than others. But from the point of view of practice, which what we're talking about now, from the point of view of Buddha nature, or discovering what it means to be a Buddha, uh, this distinction is not helpful. Suzuki Roshi also famously said, you know, each of you is a Buddha just as you are. And there's room for improvement. So listen to this carefully. It's not like if you improve and improve and improve, then eventually you will become a Buddha. It's if you give up this division that I think we feel between ourselves and what it means to be a Buddha, between our imperfect uh, being and the perfection of a Buddha, if we give up this um, distinction, this division, then you can truly improve. I remember uh, somewhere also remembering Suzuki Roshi saying in, in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, something like, um, we need to give up our self-centered ideas because our Buddha nature wants us to. This is also interesting. When you make a connection with what it means to be Buddha, then your Buddha nature wants you to give up your self-centered ideas. But, you know, often the way we practice is we need to improve and give up our self-centered ideas and become better people and more compassionate. And, and then that results in being Buddha. Hmm. So what is Buddha? I think there are two ways that our mind, our thinking mind, 
goes about answering that question. One is um, looking at the past. You know, looking at Shakyamuni Buddha. You can pick up a book about Buddhism and sometimes that book will tell the story of Shakyamuni Buddha and how he lived in a palace and how he left the palace against the wish of his father and encountered old age, sickness and death. And that means suffering and how he set about resolving this problem of suffering, engaging in the religious spiritual practices of his time, finding them, finding them not working, sitting under the Bodhi tree, realizing enlightenment, and then teaching others. And that's Shakyamuni Buddha. And it doesn't really matter whether you tell the story of Shakyamuni Buddha, the legend, or whether you um, include, as we do in Zen, the Buddha ancestors, everyone who came after um, Buddha and engaged the teaching in a fruitful way and realized enlightenment. Because that's looking to the past. Shakyamuni and you know, Bodhidharma, I'm just staying within our lineage, and Dungshan, and Dogen, and Thich Nhat Hanh. And so we're looking to these people to find out what Buddha is. Or you can look to the future. And then that's like, there's this imperfect being that I am, and then there is this perfected nature, which must be Buddha, and I'm separate from it. There is a bridge that needs to be built between me and this future. It's like we're like a, a donkey with uh, a carrot in front of us. right? And every time we take a step toward the carrot, the carrot moves too. Because we are, because this division between us, how you see yourself, this imperfect being and Buddha, this division uh, already exists in us. And so unless we uh, find a way to dissolve that division, it's not reachable. The carrot just moves. So I'm saying that because the concept, your conception of practice matters. When you have the conception that you practice in order to reach enlightenment, that division that exists right there in that conception. I'm here, enlightenment is there, and practice will get me there. Each practice, you know, each activity, this is the idea in Zen, each activity is practice. Each activity is an expression of our 
of our Buddha nature. You have something like Dogen who gives instructions to the cook and he says, um, give, take great care of each grain of rice. And I think that means literally each grain of rice. But also means um, take care of each moment. Make no distinction between sacred and um, profane or important and unimportant. How difficult. I mean, I'm, I'm talking as if this all makes sense, right? But now imagine your practice. Really, each moment, not making distinctions. Not taking um, the car ride that you um, go through in order to get somewhere as um, something that doesn't matter because really what matters is to arrive. I was in this long-distance relationship for a long time, and um, the car ride was uh, two and a half hours. I didn't appreciate that car ride. I just wanted to be there. And 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 I felt that tension there um, a lot, you know, every weekend. So it's difficult. But you see where I'm going, right? If if uh, asking what is Buddha can it, it takes us it takes the mind either into the past, looking for templates, or it takes us into the future, meaning uh, it's something that is yet to be accomplished. And what's the alternative? The present, maybe. There's a very famous koan. Uh, a monk asks Matsu, what is Buddha? And Matsu says, this very mind is Buddha. It's a very famous koan. And uh, it made it through the ages to us. And um, Dogen wrote a fascicle about it with the same title. Many people have a hard time entering into studying Dogen. This is a good fascicle to start with. It's short. It both makes sense and doesn't make sense. It's great. I um, like the translation that Nishijima and cross offer. There's various translations. And in that translation, the title is uh, presented as This Mind Here and Now is Buddha. I even like it better to um, say Here and Now Mind is Buddha. 
the Japanese is soko, soku, shin, ze, butso. Soko is, means here now. Shin means mind. Here now, mind, ze is Buddha. In, so, in order to approach the question, what is Buddha, we're looking at this very mind here now. There's a lot of stuff that falls away from that. I'm afraid right now we're just thinking about it. I'm just thinking about it. This mind. Hello. This, I'm afraid that maybe we're just thinking about it, but the question is, how do you make this connection with here now? What takes you, uh, what takes you away from it? Study, you know, study that. Use this, um, use this phrase, which cuts off looking toward the past, looking toward the future, and uh, use it to explore what is this here now? What is this here now mind? There are, um, there are two main misinterpretations of this phrase. This here now mind is Buddha. One is, let's call one naturalness, and the other one Essentialism. Naturalness is like, well, if this very mind is Buddha, then I don't have to make any effort. Whatever I do, whatever is happening, whatever I do is an expression of Buddha. Whatever is happening is an expression of Buddha. World affairs are an expression of, of Buddha, so there's nothing uh, to be done about it. Just relax. Be natural. But you remember, you know, Suzukirashi saying, we need to give up our self-centered ideas because our Buddha nature wants us to. So this um, naturalness idea is kind of like a Cop out. It sort of presents it as if there is no question or there is no tension or there's no edge. And what I call essentialism <clears throat> is uh, something like you focus on the word mind there. This very mind is Buddha. So then we're looking for the essential nature of the mind. 
we're trying to figure out what is this mind that is um that that's uh that's being talked about here it's not the it's not my ordinary mind it must be um it must be some kind of special mind that we really need to discover first and when we discover that very mind this special mind then we're on the right track answer, to answer the question what is buddha but you know the problem with this is then you have you you are creating another dualism you're creating this dualism between there's the body and there's the mind there's the body which is impermanent and it perishes and it's a problem gives us all these problems but then, then there is this mind and the mind is eternal it's uh, you know it's um it's serene it's calm it doesn't have any problems if, if that special mind i mean and then uh when the body perishes the mind leaves the perishing body the way this is the metaphor the way the owner leaves the burning house and then the and then the owner can settle in a new house the mind could be reborn in another body <clears throat> dogen says do not follow this doctrine of the non-buddhists well we have to you know whatever he says we have to find out for ourselves whether we have that understanding of mind or whether we are looking for that mind because people not just buddhists have been looking for that mind for a long time whether you call it soul or atman or mind doesn't matter or if you call that buddha you're still looking for that thing you also create a dualism between the mind and the world like there is this world out there i already said you know these world affairs they're all coming and going behind it is this eternal mind that just witnesses what essentially doesn't matter what is essential is the mind these forms are just a you know illusion do we actually want to live our life this way this is a question i mean we can hold that view but is it liberation that's that's the question to pay attention to so from this point you know we could enter into all kinds of philosophical debate what is the essential nature of reality is it mind what kind of mind is that you can we can think about it but if you take the if you take the phrase which cuts off past and future here now mind is buddha when you take this phrase as an instruction not as a debate you can do that too but if you take it as an instruction what do you do with it and uh i think 
here now mind? How do we make our connection with here? You know how you can be on a walk and think about an, a different situation that you were in in the past or you're imagining yourself in a future situation and you're here, you're walking, but you're not here at the same time. So, I mean, so we, if you practice mindfulness, you know this, that's the reason to practice mindfulness, but still, it's important to kind of really get it. It's like the mind is not necessarily here. It's not. We know it. So what's the practice to come here? Well, it's mindfulness. And the way I define it these days is mindfulness is the intention to bring attention to sensation without thinking about it. It's the intention to bring attention to sensation. How does this practice make you arrive here? Because these sensations that you bring attention to have to happen here now. They are not happening somewhere else. The body is here. And we have this, um, we have this opportunity, not just in moments where we, that we define as practice. We have this opportunity to bring our attention to our sensations at any time. Really. Each activity is an expression of your Buddha nature. This, uh, um, and a, um, a teaching like this makes no sense unless we, you know, if we evaluate the activities, it's, it's about making this connection to here at any time. There's another famous koan. Same question. The monk asks, what is Buddha? And Yunmen says, a shit stick. What is Buddha? A shit stick. Well, in our time, um, that would mean toilet paper. What is Buddha? Toilet paper. I wonder what this means. And when you take it as a joke, it's like, ah, oh, you know, these folks were just crazy. I guess they were. But does it mean that sitting on the toilet and wiping your ass is Buddha? Or 
Or does it mean that um, this concept of Buddha is like a piece of toilet paper that you throw into the toilet, that you should throw into the toilet and flush away? Or maybe it's both. Maybe it's when you realize that sitting on the toilet is also the here-now mind, you are literally taking the concept of Buddha and flushing it down the toilet. It doesn't mean anything anymore because you've arrived here now and this is your life. Somebody told me this. Maybe Galen knows um, that Chirgyam Trungpa said something like, um, yeah, I think, I guess, when somebody uh, talked to him about taking a break, he said, taking a break from what? Yeah, you can take a break from this activity and engage in that activity, but you can't take a break from um, your life. You can't take a, a break from being engaged in some activity. So each activity, how do we make each activity an expression of Buddha nature? And maybe this idea of Buddha nature, this build-up idea, goes down the toilet. Here and now mind. Now interests me a lot. Um, we talked about it in this weekend seminar, those of you who were here this uh, past weekend. Now is that which changes all the time. All the time. <laughs> now is that which changes now. You know? Now, 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 now. Blinking your eyes. Breathing, cars going by, news every day. News is, I, I, th I like news because news means there's something new. It's not the same. This is time. Time is not this abstract thing with which we measure stuff. It's not like the clock and seconds time is the change that's happening at least it's the experience we have of time if everything was the same no time and yet something um stays in the midst of change. Something holds in the midst of change. And, and what holds in the midst of change is it's always now. So if you approach this as a practice, the first, the first step is mindfulness or 
could say bodyfulness because we use attention, we use the body, we bring attention to the body, the sensations of breathing, body sensations you have, what the senses bring, because the body exists in the here and in the now, in the present. So you take attention when it's, you know, locked up in your thinking, you bring it to breath, body, and sense phenomena. And then it goes off to thinking, and then you bring it back. And it goes off, and you bring it back. And you arrive now. Now, and you arrive in this moment, which is always changing. And the more you arrive in this moment, the more you can maybe begin to appreciate not just the content of your attention, what it is that you're noticing, this flower, this smell, this breeze, this sound, this feeling, this thought. Not just the content of what you're experiencing, but also you can start to step back and ask, what is, what is that which is noticing? What is attention? How is it moving? How is it moving? How is it not moving? You can bring attention to attention itself. In each moment, attention is engaged. How is that? And then you're in the territory of what I now call focus and field practice. Attention is focused on something. And it's doing so from a unfocused field of awareness. Attention goes there, but in the background is this awareness, which is something I sometimes want to call a now presence. This now presence doesn't go away. <clears throat> Not as a kind of eternal, permanent, mystical essence of mind. You know? I'm, I'm not saying that. I know nothing about it. I really, I don't. What do I know about the essence of mind? But I do know something about when I feel located here in this body and my attention gets moved around in various ways, there's a field of, of mind, there's a field of awareness that provides some kind of stability. And this field and whatever attention is focused on are not separate. This here now mind is Buddha. Hear this phrase in, in relationship to the question, you know, what is Buddha? 
you you if you don't if you don't have that question you know uh, see how it is your own what is buddha is you know what is what does it mean to be a liberated human being <laughs> What does it mean to be a human being that isn't thrown around by changing circumstances? Like this, we have the statue, you know, the sitting Buddha. The dig- what does it mean to be a dignified human being? Maybe we need to translate the question into what is meaningful for us so that Buddhism as a practice becomes meaningful here and now for our life, our very um, circumstances, our problems. There's another story of um, Matsu, another monk. Maybe it's the same monk. I don't know. Another monk asks, what is Buddha? Um, but he asks it as, what is the essence of Buddhism? Oh, no, no, no. I think... No, I'm mixing it. What is the meaning of Buddhism? What is the essential meaning of Buddhism? Now I have it. At least that's how I uh, know uh, the phrase. What is the essential meaning of Buddhism? Great question. Matsu says, What is the meaning of this very moment? Is he just dismissing the question? Can we take this um, question seriously? What is the meaning of this moment? I can think about it. To come up with something. The meaning of this moment is, I don't know, that we understand something about Buddhism. Since we're sitting here, uh, me talking about it, you listening. But from this question of, from a more uh, internalized question of what is Buddha, what is the me, like asking this with your heart, with your life, what is the meaning of this moment? I've come, personally, you know, there's the doing of the moment, and and now I'm speaking about it, but it's like the meaning of this moment is to carry the present into the present. How do you carry this present into the present? How do you do it? How do you do it in a dignified way, in a kind way, in a wise way, in an appropriate way? So we cannot, we cannot say, oh, whatever I do is fine. This naturalness problem, uh, misunderstanding, misinterpretation. Because there's this edge of like, so so how do we do it? What now? Here, now. 
Thank you very much.